Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning. It's great to see everyone here. I trust that everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I'm grateful that so many of you have been able to travel safely back here. And some of you that are here visiting, I hope you have safe travels back to wherever you live. As you can see on this on the screen this morning, we're going to be talking about evangelistic women of the Bible. And we've got two main goals for this morning. The first goal is that we're going to learn about the women about women playing roles in evangelism. There are many women in the Bible who do this, and we're going to be learning about them. And the second thing we're going to be looking at is how to learn from these women of the Bible about evangelism. Okay, so there's going to be a heavy emphasis on the second one, because while we are going to be looking at women being evangelistic, ultimately the principles we see them putting into practice are principles that all of us should be seeking to put into practice. And so we're going to be looking at various examples and thinking about principles of evangelism that we see women uh, enacting in the New Testament scriptures. And the first thing that we're going to be looking at is why is evangelism important? We're just going to do a brief reminder here of what's so important about it. Why do we need to be doing this? And thank you, Sergio, for the reading this morning from Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Um, I want to really put some emphasis on verse 18 here, where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, so get the scene in your head. Jesus, the risen Savior, the risen King, is standing before his disciples. He has conquered sin, he has conquered death, and God has put everything under his authority. And he's got something to say. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a powerful scene. Our risen Savior, our risen King is standing, and He is saying, go make disciples. And so if you want a reason for why you should be evangelizing, it's because you're on earth. And the supreme authority of earth has said, go make disciples. The second reason why it's important to think about evangelism, to do evangelism, is a principle that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. If you are reconciled with the Father, if you are a disciple of Christ, you are in Jesus, you have inherited a ministry. You want to know what your ministry is? That's a question people have. What's my ministry? You've got one. It's the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? It's being brought back to union with the Father. And if you enjoy your reconciliation with the Father, if you really appreciate the reconciliation that you have, and you love other people, you will join this ministry. You will participate. And so why is evangelism important? Because the supreme authority has called all of his disciples to do it. And because if you actually care about people, you will do it. Because all need to be reconciled to the Father. And we're going to be looking at a number of women who sought to do this ministry. Who sought to follow Christ's command. 
And the first thing we're going to start with is looking at the power of the home for evangelism by looking at some women named Lois and Eunice. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, When I call to remember the genuine faith that is in you, talking to Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. He's saying your grandmother and your mother had this faith, and I see it in you as well. They had this faith, and they passed it on to him, and they did more than that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Lois and Eunice taught Timothy the Holy Scriptures. It says, from whom you have learned them. That's Lois and Eunice. That's these two women. And we know it's these two women because his father was not the one to do it. We can see this in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, where it says, Then Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was the son of a Greek man, but a Jewish woman. And so these scriptures that he learned, this faith that he inherited, he inherited from his mother and from his grandmother, and they created a person who was mighty in his faith, who knew the scriptures. And he was an impressive man. We can see that as we see what he did. Let's talk about here in the following verses. Verses 2 through 5. He, talking about Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And that was and and as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So Paul arrives on the scene, and there's this great man, this great young man, Timothy, who is going to now go with him and preach decrees to all these different places. And one thing that I want to hone in on here that speaks to how impressive Timothy was. Uh, is this Lystra and Iconium bit. Okay, so he's well-known, well-spoken of in Lystra and Iconium. If you look up here in the in the top left, you have Lystra, which is where the blip is, and to the northeast, if you're directionally challenged, that's up and to the right, okay, is Iconium. Now, in the bottom left, I have a red bar. That red bar is 30 miles, okay? Lystra and Iconium are roughly 15 to 30 miles away from each other, which is nothing to us. Because we have vehicles. But this is a day and age without vehicles. The fact that Timothy was well known 15 to 30 miles away in a day and age where he would have to walk there or ride a mule there speaks to the impressive young man that he was. And so we can look at Timothy and how he was well spoken of in different regions, how he assisted Paul in teaching doctrine to the churches when Paul came around, and he's held in high regard by Paul all throughout the Scriptures. All these things speak to how impressive he is, but we're missing the picture if we forget that this is because of his mother and grandmother. He gained the faith he had. He learned the Scriptures that he learned because of the dedication of his mother and grandmother to teaching this boy about God, to evangelizing their home. And there's one more thing that I think that speaks to how impressive he is. That Paul took him and circumcised him. 
because the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. This is in a day and age without all of the nice medical stuff that we have today. All the anesthesia, all the medical supplies, all that sort of stuff. And this is a young man who cares enough about the gospel and the kingdom that he's willing to be circumcised for it. That's sacrifice. That's impressive. And it speaks to how impressive his mother and grandmother must have been to build up a young man that loves God this much, that loves God's people this much. And so there is great power in the home for evangelism, and we need to seek to be like Lois and Eunice in our homes. We need to evangelize our home. If you're a mother, you're a father. If you're a grandmother, if you're a grandfather, you need to be working with your children, with your grandchildren, to develop them into people who can build up the church. Because when you are evangelizing your home, you're only directly impacting that one person, your spouse, your children, your child. It may only be that one person or those three or four people that you are directly impacting but through Timothy, we see that by directly impacting this one person, you're indirectly impacting potentially thousands. Because Timothy grew up to be the person that traveled with Paul to all these different places. And so the, the, the necessity of starting with evangelism in your home is of utmost, it's of utmost importance. The second point I want to look at is evangelism and the power of local efforts. And for this, we're going to start off by looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, where there are a number of women talked about here. Now it came to pass afterward that he, talking about Jesus, went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, married called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod Steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Here we can find a number of women here that are supporting the ministry of Jesus. That's what they're doing. They, they are, so they, it says that we provided for him from their substance. They're providing for him so that he's not having to do all his carpentry work while he's going around preaching the good news of the kingdom. They're providing for him. And so they're putting a biblical principle into practice here. One of the verses is 1 Timothy 5, another is 1 Corinthians 9. We're just going to read the first one, where it says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the, labor is, the laborer is worthy of his wages. These women were putting this principle into practice. They were supplying the funds or the means that would be needed for Jesus to continue to do his ministry and not have to be worried about all the finances, to not have to be worried all about this other stuff. And this is something that we can learn from and something that I'm happy to say that I think we do, we have done pretty well, especially with the recent increase. Because here locally, we have increased our giving to evangelistic efforts, just like these women did. It's in the newsletter. It's been talked about a lot recently. We've increased roughly 60% of our giving to evangelistic efforts. And this is a, a biblical principle that needs to be put in practice. And it's something that these women were doing. And I'm sure there's more ways that we could be 
supplying financially. Just got to let go of that grip. Another local effort for evangelism is talked about in Romans chapter 16 with a woman named Phoebe. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of for you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. A helper of many and of myself also. She has assisted Paul in the things that he was doing and many others. Another couple of women who are talked about similarly in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, where it says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose, name are, whose names are in the book of life. Here we have three women talking about who labored with Paul, who helped Paul in the things that he was doing in the spreading of the gospel. And we have a tremendous example for us to follow. And there's something else that's said here that really, I think, speaks to um, how much Paul appreciated and was impressed with these women. Because it says, for Phoebe, assist her in whatever business she has need of you. And for Syntyche and Yoda, help these women. He's calling for them to help these people who did this job, who did work for them, who put in some effort for the gospel. And i got to thank Rebecca for this point because she really crystallized it in my head. But these verses very clearly, I think, are instructive to us, and it makes me ask this question. What am I doing to assist women in their evangelistic pursuits? I mean, here's Paul telling, assist these women. I very often think about it with my brother Jordan because I'm always with him at work and we are trying to uh, get, be better about evangelism in the workplace. I very often think about it with some of the men, but how often do you think about husbands? Husbands, how often do you think about how to support your wife in evangelistic efforts? How do you help her be comfortable with it? How do you help her have opportunities? How do you help her... Have confidence that she can do it because she's participating in the ministry of reconciliation. And not just your wife, the other woman in the pew. How, what are you doing? I, I got to be honest. What am I doing to support women in evangelistic pursuits? What are you doing? The other point that I think we should gain from them is just following their example. They labored with Paul in the gospel. They assisted him. What are you doing to serve evangelistic efforts locally? What are you doing to serve them? Not just participating by doing the evangelism, but also supporting those who are putting forth evangelistic efforts. And if you're wondering what in the world what that might that look like, I've got two good examples of how we've done it here in the past. And one of those is with our sister, Roanne. Okay. When COVID happened, our sister, Roanne, made all these masks. And so I they have our logo on it, South Canadian uh, Church of Christ. That's what it says. 
And so I had to wear this mask everywhere I went. No, you. I wore it so much the bands wore out, and I told Rowan, hey, I need another. Got another one. Now, how does this serve evangelistic efforts locally? I go to school. I wear this mask. And people see the name of Christ. I go to school. I talk to someone up close. And I have had people read the name off to me. I've had people look at my mask and read it carefully. I've been able to just gesture at my mask in order to talk about church. She has served me. I don't have to wonder how am I going to make, have a conversation about church. Rowan paved the way for me. She put it right on my face. She served local efforts of evangelism in this one simple way. There are many examples. What we need is imagination and collaboration, and we can find many, many manifestations of serving evangelistic efforts. The second example that we have from here is something that we were doing just before COVID, and then COVID kind of messed everything up, right? We had set this goal. If you were here two years ago, it's, man, it's crazy to think. It was almost two years ago when we set this, this agenda, this goal to get a certain number of invites to church and to get people talking more about church and more comfortable doing this sort of thing. And we were moving. We had people praying about this. We had people talking about it. The numbers of people who were invited and people showing up, it was just increasing like crazy. Okay, people were putting in the work. Lots of you here were serving locally. There's a number of ways that we could do what Phoebe, Lois, and Eunice did. There's a number of ways that we could put this into practice. We just got to put our heads together. We just got to be willing. So we need to be like the women in Luke 8 and financially support evangelism. We need to be like Phoebe, Eunice, and Sinsuke. We need to find ways to serve evangelistic efforts locally. The third point that I want to look at is the power of dedication. For this, we're going to look at Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, we meet them in Acts chapter 18, and it says that they were Jews who lived in Rome, but because of the emperor there, they were kicked out. They were kicked out of Rome, and so they go to Corinth. And in Corinth is where they meet Paul. And whenever they meet Paul, they end up following Paul towards Syria, where they end up in Ephesus. And while they are in Ephesus, they must have made some sort of big impact. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 19, we hear about them again. Uh, they have their greetings from the churches of Asia. Okay, so he is sending greetings to the Corinthians from the churches of Asia. And he's saying, oh yeah, Priscilla and Aquila are saying hi too. In Romans chapter 16, they must have made it back to Rome at some point in time because he sends greetings to them in Rome. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he is greeting them through Timothy, where he's telling Timothy to greet them, and most likely Ephesus is where they are. These people were everywhere, and they left an impact. I mean, they're greeting people, they're being greeted, they have an impact. They're, these people are dedicated. Let me, let me show you how dedicated these people are, okay? I, I just, man, this story is so powerful to me. This is the map for them, okay? Now, look up there. There's Rome. They're kicked out of Rome. They land in Corinth. All right? y'all? Don't forget this part right here. You know, that's 250 miles. They don't have 
a carnival cruise ship to ride on that water. They got wooden boats. They land in Corinth. Where do they go from there? Ephesus. They cross the sea again, 250 miles in a wooden boat. I think it's rough driving to Alabama. They got in a boat for 250 miles because they were dedicated. They were dedicated. And that's not all. That's not all. In Acts chapter 18, when we met them, they went to Ephesus, and there they ran to this guy named Apollos. And Apollos, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Quilla Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately because he was teaching the baptism of John instead of the baptism that Jesus instituted. They were dedicated. They were dedicated enough to be in a foreign land and stand up and say, hey, you're not teaching the truth right. Think about the impact here. They taught Apollos the way of God more accurately. He went on to Corinth from here where he became the guy that Apollos said watered. He said, I planted Apollos watered to the Corinthians. Priscilla and Aquila. It was their dedication. It was their dedication to the truth and their willingness to say something that led to that. That's not all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, whenever he sends greetings from them to the Corinthians, he says, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. They're in Asia, okay? Probably Ephesus. They've gone from Corinth to Ephesus, but they were previously from Rome. They land in Ephesus. They are surrounded by Gentiles. They're in a foreign land. They get a home and they say, come have church with us. Think about that. A foreign land. They are foreigners here. They're the minority. They're Jews surrounded by Gentiles. They say, come have church with us in our home. We're opening up our home to you guys. That's dedication. Romans chapter 16, 3 and 4. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, another fellow worker, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. The churches of the Gentiles, they give thanks to these people because of their dedication and their service to the gospel. They risk their necks. And guess what? Verse 5 following this, they've got a home back in Rome, and people are worshiping in it. You would think that after all that traveling, I mean, they go from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus, who knows where else, and then back to Rome, they'd say, it's time for me to just take a break. But no, they open up their home again to a church that's fractured over Jew-Gentile lines. And they say, just worship with us. That's dedication. We think we have it rough. We have nothing compared to this. That's dedication. But what about Priscilla? You know, we're talking about Priscilla and Nicole. What about Priscilla? What do we know about Priscilla? The answer is not much. We know that she went around with Aquila and did this. We don't know if she was the quiet, supportive wife. We don't know if she was the fire under Aquila's tail, elbowing him in the ribs, saying, you're going to lead this family or not. We don't know if she was the spirited ball of energy at every occasion like Bruce. You know, Bruce walks into a room, everybody knows it, right? I heard his laugh. Everybody knows it when Bruce walks into the room. We don't know what she was like. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which one of these personalities you have. Dedication to the gospel combined with your personality is going to do wonders for the kingdom of God. 
And I, I'm just going to go ahead and make an example here with the quiet, supportive life piece. My wife, she, she plays both of these first two roles pretty well. She's good at elbowing me in the ribs, saying, let's go. She's pretty good at just being really supportive, working in the background. That's what she does really well. And I've experienced this with her. Because, so y'all know, most of y'all know, I've been in grad school, working on my sixth year here. Lord willing, going to be my last year. We'll see. My wife has been so supportive. I mean, those first two years especially, and even third and fourth year, my routine was go to school, come home, eat dinner, go back to the study, and start working. Every day. Sometimes on weekends. I mean, I was just gone, gone, gone. I was gone from school, and even when I was home, it's not like I was home. I was in the office. I was working. I was doing all this stuff. But occasionally, I would get an opportunity to do a Bible study. I would get an opportunity to go meet someone, to talk about the scriptures. And my wife has every right to to look at me and say, are you seriously leaving again? Are you seriously going to go and leave us again? She has every right to feel that way. But she doesn't. She doesn't say anything. She supports. She says, it's okay, you go, I got the kids. It's okay, you go, I got it. And so people can hate on the quiet, supportive wife all they want, but there is power in it. Because that sort of dedication to not hinder me, it means everything to me. And Lord willing, it means everything to the person who benefits from it. There is power in dedication. No matter what your personality trait here is, you put that personality to work with the dedication for the gospel, and you're going to do amazing things, just like Priscilla and Aquila. The last point that we're going to talk about is the power of Jesus. And we've got a little bit of a long reading here, so if you're falling asleep, you might just you know stretch your arms out or something. We're going to do a little bit of a long reading, and we're going to learn something amazing about the woman at the well. About evangelism. John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Zachar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, that's important. The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, but Jesus is saying, Give me a drink. Can you please get me a drink? Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? 
Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the only one you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one should worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. The worship, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when, true, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. One more piece. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. There are a number of things that I want to, to, to bring out of this story that I think speak to us about this woman and her evangelistic efforts and things that we can learn about the power of Jesus when it comes to evangelism. The first is that she's a Samaritan woman, but Jesus used her. Okay, It said the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then all the disciples marveled that Jesus spoke with a woman. She's a Samaritan woman. But Jesus used her. She's an outcast as far as the Jews are concerned. And she's a woman, so her testimony isn't very reliable according to Greco-Roman standards. But Jesus used her. The second point is that she had multiple husbands, but people still came. I mean, can you imagine this? This woman's in this town. She's had five husbands. She's now living with a man that is not her husband. And here she comes saying, let me tell you about this guy. What do you think they're thinking? Oh, you got another guy? But they came. They came. Because she testified, he told me all that I ever did. And the third thing is that she didn't have to do it all. She testified, he told me all that I ever did. And then they came and they listened to Jesus and they said, we believed, but now we don't believe because of you, but because we've heard from him. She didn't have to do it all. 
but she did something. And this teaches us something. She's a Samaritan woman, but Jesus used her. She's an outcast. No one's going to listen to her, but Jesus used her, and they did listen to her. And so you might feel like you're an outcast. You might be an outcast. You might be a loner. You might be marginalized and all by yourself. But guess what? Jesus can still use you just like he used this Samaritan woman. This woman had multiple husbands, but Jesus still used her. You might be an unrepentant sinner even to this very moment, but Jesus can still use you. And she didn't have to do it all. And you don't either. You don't have to do the Bible study about baptism. You don't have to do the Bible study about the Trinity or works versus faith or anything like that. Just talk about Jesus. Someone else here can do the study. She didn't have to do it all, and you don't either. Just talk about Jesus like this woman did. The problem is, is that we get all caught up in our own heads. Well, I'm not this and I'm not that. Well, guess what? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And the sooner we stop making, talking about Jesus about us, the sooner we can be like this Samaritan woman. She didn't make all these excuses. She went and testified. He told me all that I ever did. The sooner we can be like this and get off our high horse or get out of our own head and go talk about Jesus, the sooner we can evangelize well like this woman did. It's not about us. It's about the power of Jesus. I've got one more point that I want to make here. Thank you, Brother Travis, two years ago or whenever we went through the John series for making this point. She left her water pot. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the, and then she started talking to these guys, right? Now, if you remember the story, when Jesus is like, give me some water, and then for the next like six verses, all you're reading is her arguing about water. I mean, she's just so fixated on this water. You don't have a pot. You don't. Is your water better than the water that Jacob gave us? Water, water, water. That's what she's fixated on. But when she was done talking to Jesus, she left her water pot. It was completely different. Because coming in contact with Jesus can radically transform what you do and what you talk about. And that's what this woman experienced. And the other point about this I want to make is that water isn't bad. In fact, it's good. You probably know what's coming. A lot of times what we think gets in our way is the bad stuff. But most of the time, what gets in our way of talking about Jesus is the other stuff we actually just care more about, like this woman did water. And what we really need to do is take the Samaritan woman's lead and leave our water pot behind. You could have any number of water pots. For you, it could be money, your education, your job, COVID. It could be sports. It could be family. Oh, it could be Netflix. What about Facebook? What about politics? The news? We all get fixated on something. We all have something that we like to talk about more than we talk about anything else. We all have this thing that we are more likely to talk about than Jesus. 
this thing that we're fixated on and consumes all our time. And the trouble is that when we have this water pot, it's, it's just an idol. It's just an idol that we've set up for ourselves and that we are clinging to. And it is making it harder to evangelize because when you have a water pot that you won't let go of, that's the thing you're going to talk about. Even if it's your own grandkids, even if it's just your family, even if it's something that's actually important like a job or family. We're not important like your favorite Netflix show. There's all sorts of stuff that gets in our way that we make important and we get fixated on and we need to drop it. We need to refocus our lives and come in contact with Jesus. Because like this Samaritan woman, when you come in contact with Jesus, it will transform what you will talk about and you will drop your water pot. Become more invested in Him. Leave these things of the world behind and just talk about Jesus. We've looked at a number of women and a number of principles this morning about evangelism. There's a lot to learn from a lot of characters in the Bible, but this morning what we've covered is the need to talk about Jesus, to not hinder other people from talking about Jesus, to help fund evangelism, to serve evangelistic efforts, and to teach Jesus to your family members. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how much you talk about Jesus. I don't know how much you evangelize. I know that I've got a lot to grow. I know all of these women have taught me something. But we all need to make it more about Him than us. And that's the struggle. Because we want it to be about us or the other thing that we care about. But we need to remember that the power of evangelism is not you. The power in evangelism is Jesus. And we want to help you become more like him, to become more dedicated to him, and to be able to talk about him more. If you would like help doing this, let us pray for you. Let us study with you. Let us help you. If you'll come and have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing, if you want this help, we would love to do so. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.